This is the Fight Back Podcast, hosted by exercise scientist Georgia Berry. Here you'll find a series of honest conversations about martial arts and mental health. My guests and I explore the statement that every martial artist has heard, martial arts saved me. How and why do combat sports save people? Listen to find out. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Fight Back podcast. I'm here today with Steph and Dr. Stephanie Phillips is a comic book writer these days, but she's also a pre-COVID Muay Thai practitioner whose research in some of her undergrad and, and postgrad, I think, sort of took her a little bit down a path that she she didn't really realize was going to be there when she started talking to women about why they were involved in martial arts. So I was really excited to have Steph on because reading some of the things she's written up, a lot of it mirrors some of the things that I've come across. So Steph, welcome. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Can you introduce yourself a little bit better than the attempt that I just made to everybody? <laughs> no, that was good. Um, all right. Um, let's see. I guess uh, so I, I grew up playing uh, ice hockey and I'm very competitive. So after college, which I practiced like on the boys team in college because there was no girls team. Um, and then after that, like when I started grad school, I was like, I, I just need to continue being competitive. And I... Um, I'm really, I have no idea why, but I walked into a Muay Thai gym and I was like, I want to do like, what is this? Let me do this thing. Um, and then I tried, you know, a couple more gyms. I tried a couple more combat sports, just like trying to get to feel like, do I like Muay Thai, jujitsu? Um, and then I found a, a gym that just felt really good. It felt like, you know, I had a coach here that was, um, you know, on day one, when I walked in with no experience and said, I want to fight, like, I want to have a fight. He, he wasn't like laughing at me. He was like, all right, well, here's what we need to do to make that happen. And um, yeah, I had a few fights with that gym and then um, became a trainer there. And then eventually when I moved out of that state, practice a little less, but uh, also just, you know, work kind of taking over from there. Um, I write comic books and I think now I use most of my martial arts um, developing cool fight scenes for characters like Superman and Harley Quinn, stuff like that. So. <laughs> Which is awesome. I love it. <laughs> um, so the question that this podcast really seeks to answer is why it is that people say martial arts save me. So from your experience and your research, why do you think that that is? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, I feel like one of the things that I really... Um, I've heard a lot from women that I've trained or just from my own experiences, the way that it connects your entire body. Like you can, uh, you know, not, not training Muay Thai now, I get a little frustrated with workouts because it's like, you know, I'm working on an individual muscle and I get that maybe you're uh, still strengthening core or something while doing, um, you know, a bicep workout, but nothing does that in the same way that I've found a martial art does. Like you throw a punch and everything from your toe position to your nose has to be in such a specific way that all of a sudden you're connected to your body in a way I just sincerely never have been. Like the comfort level with myself drastically changed. You know, I think, I think it allowed me to make different choices in my life. Like, you know, did I want to pursue a PhD? Um, or just even the weird confidence of walking into a gym with people I don't know. And at the time, I was the only female fighter in the gym for years. And, um, you know, just walking and being like, cool, I'm here, I'm going to fight. And, uh, uh, you know, I think having somebody take that seriously and um, 
work with you to to get to a mental space where you're okay with getting in a ring with people watching as you go to beat up somebody else. It's like, um, you know, I think it's a weird mindset that you have to be in and it takes discipline. It takes confidence that I definitely didn't have before joining the sport. Um, and I think all of those things really help connect people in an individual way with themselves. And um, I think that's something I found too in working with women was, you know, somebody said, oh, this workout, like, you know, I'm throwing a punch. Why does my calf hurt? <laughs> it's like, yeah, that's, that's a really interesting thing that she's commenting on that, like, I don't think she understands how deep that comment really is, which is just like every single piece is connected. And I think that's what I love most about fighting as well. Yeah, it's it's such it's my favorite question obviously I, I started a whole <laughs> podcast about it and there's so many you know we could talk about it in so many different streams I suppose you could phrase it in that you know I don't think there is one answer for why that is because it's different for everyone but you've got a really good idea from having interviewed is it, so 300 women filled in your yeah. survey I was shocked. <laughs> that was, you know, it started with like giving it to a few people locally, like, you know, women I knew and letting them fill in it anonymously. And then it became people being like, can I share this with another gym or, you know, another female fighter I know? And it spiraled. And actually some of the people I met doing that survey are people I'm still in contact with. Like I've never met them in real life, but, you know, they just emailed me to talk about their answers or to say they had never thought about fighting in terms of, um, you know, the differences between like violence and, and what we do in a combat sport and things like that. So that was, um, I think it was a really cool experience just doing the survey itself and connecting with other female fighters. And what was some of the questions that you were asking on the survey? Um, you know, I tried to be really broad and not lead people. Mm -hmm. Uh, so I was mostly just asking like why they started or, um, about other interactions they had had in the gym. Like, uh, so the survey was for anyone that identified as female Mm -hmm. and, um, what that experience was like, uh, like if they were the only female in the gym, um, how long they had been practicing, why they started. Um, and really it was that question of like, why did you start fighting? (laughs) That became like this, it was so open-ended that I got results that I don't think I realized or that I didn't really intend. So, you know, a lot of people talking about um, childhood trauma of some kind, um, sexual abuse, those kinds of things that really drove them to reconnect with their body. And and it was interesting because people were like, well, this seems uh, counterintuitive that you would choose something that is violent, um, or at least on the surface violent, but honestly, you just think about how controlled this sport is, like how controlled you have to be over your own body. And it's, it's really a kind of agency, I think, for somebody to be able to control those muscles um, all at once and actually be a part of the sport (laughs) and seeing that growth too. Like, you know, my first fight, I got into the ring and adrenaline kicks in and it's like, all right, uh, technique is out the window. I'm just going to smash. (laughs) Like, (laughs) kind of. Yeah. And, and at some point, like <laughs> by like round two, I had calmed down a little bit and technique was like coming back. But, um, you know, and then by the second fight, the difference is dramatic. Like, you know, I, I finally understood like how to control that adrenaline. Like you're not just controlling your body in a comfortable environment. Now I've got all these people watching and I don't know this person. I don't know what she's going to do. Um, so you have to be really in control in a way that that also changed again. And now I had to prepare for this. Um, 
And it just, I think it gave me just a different perspective on my body. And it also helped me, I think, teach other women. So after doing the survey, I, I kind of talked to my gym about starting women's programs, um, doing self-defense classes and um, trying to figure out how to make the environment, I think, more inviting for people that weren't um, I call them dude bros. And I mean this lovingly because I have great relationships with them. Mm-hmm. And I think that they would self-identify as this as well. But, yeah. you know, we're talking about like big muscled guys that, you know, when we hit pads, we kind of like scream or something. And it's like somebody else comes into the gym to check it out. And, you know, I, I had women that I would just try to like, oh, come in, just try a class, it's, you know, for free, see if you like it. And they'd be like, there's all these big guys sweating and yelling. (laughs) It's like, okay, so we need to find a way to think about the environment and give kind of this really safe place for for women to start having that experience. And uh, I I loved coaching. I I liked coaching um, in some ways more than I think I liked actually fighting, which it got to be a cool experience too. What were some of the other features that made your women's class different apart from the absence of the uh, dude bros, bro dudes? Yeah. Um, I think that was one thing was like trying to um, make sure that we were scheduling for a time when nobody else was in the gym, not even transitioning. So like we picked a day where it was just my classes and there was a gap in between when my classes ended and another class started. So there was no overlap of somebody else being in the gym um, and making it uncomfortable. Um, Other things were like just trying to understand Uh, what they liked and didn't like. And it turns out that like 99% of the women I work with do not like any kind of touching of other people, which, uh, you know, I I think it's interesting because like, you know, in my first week in a Muay Thai gym, I just had dudes grab me and be like, all right, this is how you clinch. And Mm -hmm. it's like, oh, well, I guess doing this now. Um, But I absolutely understand that for somebody that didn't grow up with, you know, a brother that you were constantly fighting with or playing men's hockey, it is very odd to just be grabbed by a man and like stuck. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like that could feel really threatening. Um, So, you know, trying to find ways to restructure things that like I would do when I taught co-ed classes where like, you know, we always have a component of clinch and like women would just be like, "Eh, we're out the minute that came up. So it was like kind of restructuring around that and trying to just understand what they wanted out of it. Mm -hmm. Um, which, you know, in some cases I had a very exercise oriented class. And then, you know, I had some private clients that were very interested in technique, um, which, which was a lot of fun or, you know, kind of coming up with games that were a little like sparring, but it would be, you know, like hit for hit games or just Mm -hmm. like kick on kick sparring only or something. Um, so they, they seem to like those kinds of things, but also just working towards how to make somebody comfortable with clinch, which is not easy. And I don't know that I have a good answer for that because I, I also understand why that is uncomfortable to many people. Yeah, that's come up before on this podcast. I think we had a local oh, yeah. um, Muay Thai fighter who hated clinching. She was like, <laughs> every time before clinch, I would just lie to myself and sit on on the bench and be like, I love clinching until... <laughs> until I tricked myself into believing that I liked it. But yeah, the first time I clinched the next day, I think I thought my neck was broken. I thought (laughs) it was so sore and like 
I've done specific neck training before because I work in a very specialized physiotherapy clinic and I had mm. never experienced anything like the aftermath of clinching. Um, and I had done karate for like 10 years before I started Muay Thai. So I'm not sure how you could make clinching trauma informed. I would love if somebody would contact me and, yeah. and let us know. <laughs> I I don't know that I ever got there for everyone but I mean, one thing we did was just like little integrations of like, you know, locking up, but mm-hmm. then like a quicker release and separating people. So it didn't feel like, you know, very prolonged, like being stuck in a headlock or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, again, I think having an all female environment, I think made some of them feel a little more comfortable trying that. Whereas, mm-hmm. you know, having um, some guy that's been sweating for three hours, just like, hanging on your neck who's also you know 250 pounds or something and it's like that's that's really frightening (laughs) so um yeah I don't know that I have a great answer for dealing with it but it was something that you know from talking with all of them they like without fail all of them mentioned they were like we just don't want to do this so um I thought that was interesting though yeah and I think just being open to asking the questions like what do you guys want to do do you feel comfortable with that kind of falls under the same thing of what you were talking about in one of your blog posts, Mm -hmm. which is about how women felt that doing a martial art or doing, you know, Muay Thai felt that they got to choose what they were doing. They got to choose the amount of like violence, you know, they got to choose the impacts that they were putting their bodies through, which was a bit of a foreign concept if they hadn't experienced that before. Is that something that you also look to deliberately integrate into your classes, like that choice? I think so. Um, Another thing I wanted to do was really think about space. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, um, I I guess this is going to be like a weird example, but when I first noticing it being, you know, the only female fighter in the gym, and then eventually there was one other woman that joined us. And for most of the time, we were like always partners. Like, I think at first it was just like, oh, the two women, of course, they'll be partners. It ended up working great. Like, she was the most phenomenal sparring partner and training partner. And um, she went on to be their next female fighter and like really awesome. Um, so that, that was great. But um, it was one thing I noticed, you know, if multiple people are working on the mat, men would never be uh, like cognizant of where other people are. Mm-hmm. Like they would just go wild, like sparring and, you know, we would get pushed or we would constantly be like watching to see where they were, were and we would move. And the thing is, like, they weren't doing it intentionally, but I kept noticing this. And I told her one day, I told my partner, I was like, I was like, we keep moving for them. We need to stop doing that. Like, just let's see their reaction if we just stay put. And like, you know, they would run into us and be like, oh, are you guys working here? (laughs) It's like, yes, we are. And we would just kind of look at them and then they would readjust and move. And I was like, I... I think a part of this also needs to be if we're becoming comfortable with ourselves, it's like now we get to be a little bit more attuned to our environments and our spaces as well and kind of sticking up for um, even in a little way saying this is our corner of the mat and we're working here and we don't have to move every time for somebody else. Um, And I noticed we were the only ones doing it. Like, you know, I would watch the classes, especially if I was coaching and be like, why are the women the only ones that are adjusting their space? Um, so I think one of the things that was interesting to talk about with some of the women was like, how do you occupy these spaces and how Mm -hmm. does your body occupy these spaces? And, um, you know, I think that informed a lot too, of like, you get to be in this space, you, you get to be a fighter in this space, you get to train in this space and you don't get to be intimidated, 
um, by the other people in this space and we're going to make it work. And that was kind of one of my missions going into the, into the classes. And did you start to see a change? Like were women saying like, I feel like I'm more comfortable to take up space? Yeah. Um, I think one of the coolest things is a lot of the women that started in the women only class filtered into the co-ed class. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm not in that state anymore, but I can see like, you know, their Facebook posts. And I see a lot of the women that I trained in the women's classes are, they kind of filtered into a lot of the other men's classes. And I see some of them there every single day. And it's like, that's, that's great. So you found a way to be comfortable and say like, oh, I get to belong in this space. This is a sport I want to do. And here I am and kind of not apologize for that. So um, I'm really happy to see that they're still training. Yeah, that's fantastic. And I, you know, I think it's a universal issue with this whole like women not wanting to take up space. I've spoken to Chloe McLean about this, who's a researcher in Scotland about this issue in karate, you know, from my experience, even with doing jujitsu, I've seen that women who are higher grades than men and in jujitsu etiquette is that if you're the higher graded couple, you know, like the combination of your belts together, the higher graded couple doesn't move when you inevitably roll towards each other. (laughs) And even if women outrank men, they will still move. You know, there's like a couple of exceptions, of course, to that. But it's it's just interesting how I I don't know. What do you think? Is it is it social conditioning? Is it something else? Like, why does that start? Um, that's a good question. Uh, I mean, social conditioning does seem like (laughs) like the the um at least a big umbrella for for this uh just in terms of, you know, I always think about every time we would move my partner, she would always be like, oh, I'm sorry. And I was like, stop, stop apologizing. <laughs> like <laughs> they actually came into our space. And I was like, but you know, I'm, I'm not like bad at her. I get it because at least for me for a while, that same thing was there to apologize. And, um, you know, doing martial arts, I think actually helped with hockey, which I still play, uh, at least rec league hockey, but it's still always men. <laughs> and, uh, it's uh it's kind of interesting when people get upset like oh you you were too aggressive or something like the the stigma is just that like if i'm playing defense which i love playing defense mm-hmm. and i'm like blocking somebody out or getting in somebody's way so they can't get the puck it's always why are you being so mean or are you on your period which gets asked a lot <laughs> on the ice uh-huh. and it's like it's like oh man why are you so grumpy or what are you so upset about and it's like mm. well this is the sport. (laughs) So I think there's also a lot of things that go into, especially sports, um, that make them kind of aggressive and masculine. And that's always supposed to be, you know, something that's reserved for men and not something that women get to occupy, like um, that kind of state of being. It's like, you know, if a man is pushing another guy in front of the net in hockey, you're applauded, but you know, I do it and they're all like, Oh geez, what's wrong with you? <laughs> mm-hmm. like, uh, I'm doing the exact same thing. Like I, you know, we're going to get judged, I think a little different for, for those things. Yeah. I don't know. I suppose yeah, getting in and practicing, taking up space is probably a pretty good place to start. Um, and then <laughs> you can, yeah, I don't know what, what else comes maybe for men listening to, to notice whether you're unabashedly just taking up more space and the, the way the women are responding as well. I think that's what Alex would would say is something that, you know, is maybe starting to happen a little bit more now, which is pretty cool. Um, I think one of the other things that comes up in a similar vein for women is 
the bruises and like the black eyes and things like that that might come where for a man if they have like a black eye it's like oh you got into fight like that's awesome how did you go yeah. and for a woman the assumption immediately is that she was abused um how did you did you speak to women who had encountered that how were they dealing with it like what's your comment on that I did speak to women that that mentioned that and uh it was pretty much across the board kind of what you're mentioning where it was oh you got all these bruises or marks it's you know what happened uh I mean that happened to me after a fight once my ankle was really messed up and my dad wanted me to get an x-rayed so my dad took me to the ER and there was obviously you know separating me asking me questions about how it happened and uh, I was pretty pretty high on adrenaline still, and I think I wore my medal because I had a medal from the fight. I wore it into the ER, and I was just like, I was in a fight. <laughs> they were like, what? And, and my dad was like, no, there were referees, not, not like a bar fight. Like, <laughs> this was a sport. Um, but, you know, there was obvious concern. Um, and I've had that before with, like, uh, black eyes or things like that, walking around just, like, the grocery store, and you have people, like, are you okay? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, asking, asking those questions. And on the one hand, I'm glad that there is such concern. Like, I am glad that people, like, I don't think anybody that's ever asked those questions has been like, oh, these people were being rude about it. I get the sense that the people asking are genuinely concerned. And the high level of domestic violence that we see against typically a male partner against a, a, a female is so high that I think I think on the one hand, I'm glad that there's such visible concern for those things. Um, though I, I did, I guess this is more about tattoos, but I was speaking to somebody about how your body changes through a sport. And mm-hmm. one of the things that she mentioned in terms of both fighting and having tattoos was that there's this kind of like, it's almost this like aggressive act of owning your body to be okay with these marks. And mm-hmm. um, we were also talking about her having these very visible tattoos and she was like this is my act of self-defiance against all the societal norms of people saying that you know women don't get to have black eyes and still be attractive or Mm -hmm. wanted by society um because it makes you gross or whatever the stigma is um I think what was it there was an announcer once announcing a fight and he was like I don't know why women would want to ruin their pretty faces like that kind of stigma Mm -hmm. um And she was like, it almost feels like to get in the ring, to get hit, to take the hit, um, you know, to, to make these choices, to change your body in a way that is, is often deemed not feminine is Mm -hmm. such an act of like aggression against the system, Mm -hmm. um, that she was really proud of it, that these were like medals of honor almost. And I, I really like that answer and the way she phrased it of like, this is, this is aggression against the system. (laughs) And I like that. I I think it's a really cool way of putting it. Uh, I do. I do love that. I I wonder if, you know, it could end up becoming as more and more women are doing are doing that and outwardly like showing off their bruises, that it could become like almost a safe, safe space for women who have experienced a lot of trauma. And what I mean by that is like, for example, if they've spent you know, years covering things up because of the truth behind them. But finally, the truth is actually not something sinister. It's not something to be ashamed of, but it's something to be proud of. And not that you should ever be ashamed of being a victim of domestic abuse, but of course, those are some of the emotions that tend to come with it. But when you can, when you're around lots of people who for, for them, it's normal. Like I've always got bruises. All my friends have always got bruises. It's it's weird if I don't. And 
and then have bruises and be around them, then you can start to model for a situation where it's just normal. And then around other people, you can just be like, oh, it's because I was at training. And all of a sudden you have like this almost protection from having to talk about the things that you don't want to talk about. And that's the whole reason why martial arts is so great because you never have to talk about the trauma. You get to heal without having to bring it up and, and talk about it again. Absolutely. No, I like that. I think that's a really good way of thinking about it also. What else did you find in your research? I'm so fascinated by it. <laughs> um, so I, I think a lot of people mentioned having uh, really positive relationships with men through martial arts mm-hmm. that, um, you know, I think there's some obvious exceptions that have been in the news about um, gym owners, you know, abusing mentor relationships and things like that, which we find in so many fields, unfortunately. But one thing that came out of it was just this really good sense of, you know, with a male coach or a male training partner that they felt really safe, that they mm-hmm. felt like, um, and, and, you know, I, I joked about some of my training partners calling them dude bros, but they're some of my closest friends. Like mm-hmm. that is for me, a really cool relationship to get to go in there and, see somebody else that maybe we've also stigmatized as like the big muscle dude. And Mm -hmm. uh, we get to have like these really awesome personal relationships through our training together. And I think a lot of women also pointed out that uh, being in these gyms gave them some of the first moments of having really positive relationships with um, men that they hadn't uh, had before this. And And, you know, I completely agree with my coaches or, you know, there would be days where, um, especially preparing for a fight, you know, you just have somebody in your corner that can sense, uh, you know, especially if it's a good coach, I think, you know, my coach knew if I'm really stressed or he could tell if I left training in a way that was like, you know, she's a little off or something. And I would get called just to like, talk about like, where, where's your headspace at or something. And it became like, a you know, you have to trust this person. Mm-hmm. This person is putting me in a situation where I could get hit. And I have to trust that they know that I'm going into a safe interaction, that they're going to keep me safe. And, you know, if I can hear from the corner, him yelling, you know, jab. And I think that was a, a big difference for me between some of the first couple of fights and later was just hearing him yell, because maybe I'm not seeing it and trusting that like, okay, he's telling me to throw a jab. I'm going to do it because, you know, he's not telling me because, you know, he wants me to get hit. Like this is literally somebody in my corner and um, same with the training partners. And I think that that was a really cool thing was getting to, to have such a close relationship that some of them, you know, if they said something that was like, that's kind of offensive about being, you know, like, some of them would make fun of the women's classes Mm -hmm. that I ran. So they would joke like, Oh, uh, you know, so-and-so has to stay because he has to go to the women's classes. And I was like, you know, that some of my women fighters, like they get in the ring and fight. You've had zero fights. Like, Mm -hmm. I I don't know what you're making fun of here. Um, But it was also like being able to know that I was in a position that I could challenge what they were saying. Mm -hmm. And they responded like you know there was uh there would be moments of like I hadn't thought about it that way like that's kind of a cool reaction to get and I know that that doesn't happen all the time and I do not think it's everybody else's responsibility to like educate people on abuse or trauma or safe spaces um you know it's certainly not a trauma victim's uh responsibility but I felt like I was in a good position where I could push back. And uh, I think it strengthened our relationships. So when I heard people saying that they had these really cool relationships that were very positive in the gym, I was like, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Mine have been 
like, you know, just platonic, strong relationships with the opposite gender. Yeah, we don't get that many opportunities where, I mean, like, there's always exceptions to this rule. um, But I think when you spar with someone and like, this is for me especially, but it's like the faces that I make when I'm sparring and like that when I'm, you know, when I've got clinch hair and for anyone who doesn't know, it's like imagine putting your hair in a messy bun and then rolling it in sweat and then like doing multiple somersaults and then the end result is pretty much what it would be, right? You look awful. (laughs) Face is all red, you know, like I'm I'm at like my least feminine, which is when I think it just breaks down these walls of where you don't have a wall up being ready to deflect against like male attention, which, you know, is, is a problem for a lot of women in a lot of places in workspaces in social spaces, you just don't have that. And so you get to have these relationships where you, you actually just trust that the person just wants to be a friend. And it's just like, you go straight to a deeper connection. And I I do wonder like how much oxytocin, like the cuddle hormone has to do with that because we're in such like close proximity to each other. And then like what, what you mentioned about it, it doesn't matter if they're a, a man and you're a woman, if you've had more fights, like you kind of outrank them in some way, you know, like if you're a more experienced fighter, you, you just, that commands respect that we don't often see. And it's, it's really, I think it's fun to wear that hat sometimes. Yeah. It is. And being a, a trainer at the gym, you know, if I was in charge of the co-ed classes, uh, mm. yeah, sure. Every once in a while you get somebody coming in that's new. That's like, well, where's, where's the trainer? And it's like me. And then they're like, no, where's the actual trainer? Like, mm-hmm. obviously they want a man. And, and like, that's usually that person is not the person that's sticking around. That's the person yeah. who wants to do like a free trial class and maybe signs up for like a month and you never see them again. But the people that are there and dedicated every single day um, are the people that respect that I can run the class and we have something to do together. And like, um, you know, I, I think also the the fight team would go running together every day. Mm-hmm. And for a while, I... Uh, <laughs> I don't know why. I mean, it's Florida. So anyone listening in the U.S., we, we kind of know Florida's got a bad reputation. Uh, it's a little little redneck. And okay. I would often get catcalled while running, you know, guys leaning out of the car. And it was very frustrating. And one day it happened when I was with um, a bunch of the other fight team members. And one of the guys on the fight team stopped and like hiked his shorts up and was like, Oh my God, thank you. And like <laughs> responded to them. Yeah. And it just became this, like, I feel so safe, right? Like, yeah. you know, all of these people are on my side and they are looking out for me, uh, you know, whether I'm injured or just having a bad day you know, there's, there's a group of people here that it just feels like a bunch of, you know, extended family or brothers. And that's, that's really neat that you have those people that are looking out for you. And again, it's, it's never been anything more than platonic in those situations. And I think that helps a lot, like just being able to say like, this person is going to know my moods. And, you know, especially doing jujitsu, like I, I get the clinch thing, because when I first started, I did some jujitsu also, and I was really uncomfortable. I was like, we're in like really close proximity. I'm the only woman, but uh, as soon as you start actually practicing the moves, like all of that goes away. And I think that that goes a long way to making you feel really secure again with like these interactions with people that could in other scenarios seem kind of threatening. So 
um, I, I think that's a really cool thing that came out of the surveys and I'm glad other women were kind of responding to that as well. Do you think the the men who stay or like everybody in who stays in martial arts long term, they they stay because they are respectful people or do you think that doing martial arts humbles them and then they become respectful? Oh, that's a good question. Um Wow. I mean, I do think martial arts definitely teaches an, a um, sense of discipline and patience. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, I think it's just who wants it the most. Like, I think the person that comes in and on day one is like, all right, I'm ready to fight. And it's like, you've done like, what, two classes? You're not getting in the ring. But it's that person that wants to argue with, you know, the the trainer and say, like, put me in right now. Um and when they don't get what they want, they leave because mm-hmm. they wanted one thing and they don't want to do the actual work for it. So I think I think maybe the sport and the people that stick around are the people that have the kind of drive to go in every day. Uh, in, a, in our gym, we treat it like, you know, we don't really do weight cuts. You stay at your weight the whole time. You train every single day like you have a fight. Uh, so, you know, if a fight comes available tomorrow, you could hypothetically get in the mm-hmm. ring. Um, and that takes a lot of commitment. And I think it's, you know, the people that stick around are the people that are willing to make that kind of commitment. And, you know, the people that just wanted one fight for like an Instagram picture or whatever it is they were hoping to accomplish there, uh, they're, you know, they realize that's not going to happen and they leave. Mm. Yeah, it's a tough question. I, I think it's both. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, martial arts makes you respectful and only respectful people are, are going to stick around. <laughs> right. <laughs> so from everything that you've been able to find from women with trauma backgrounds coming into martial arts, can you put together almost like some advice for someone who has been listening to this podcast for a bit and is thinking, okay, I think I want to go and join a gym. Like what should they be looking for? Um, how can they go about it? Um, one thing I found was looking to see what other women are in the gym. Uh, so when I, when I moved States, that became kind of important, which was like going and watching the classes and just seeing how people interact with each other was, um, actually really helpful. Just kind of like, you know, I was choosing a new place to work out and I kind of wanted to see like, what is this place like? And not just, you know, go take a class, but I just wanted to kind of observe like who's coming in and out of the door and how do they talk to one another? Um, and, you know, I, I think it's a little different because the gym I started at, I was the only female, but the gym was really new. And so mm-hmm. we kind of had this opportunity of like growing the gym. And the longer I was there, the more involved I became in the process of helping it grow. Mm-hmm. And I would say that's that's definitely different. And again, I don't think all women have this kind of background of being in a locker room with 20 something men every day to play hockey like that's that's a really different uh experience and I I get that but I think other in in another situation if I had walked into that gym and just seen it like with a fresh pair of eyes I probably would have been really scared Mm -hmm. uh but when I picked a gym up here of just where to go to take like you know a class a week or something I just kind of sat there for a while and observed the classes I observed the coaches um you know I talked to some of them about their background and their fights and where they fight and those kinds of things. Um, so talking to people surprisingly helped <laughs> me kind of make a selection once I moved. Mm-hmm. 
And do you have any advice for women broadly? Like if you could put a message out to all of the women of the world, is there anything that you would say? All of the women of the world. <laughs> it's, it's a big weight. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I mean, I think some of the biggest takeaway was just being unapologetic mm-hmm. about what I'm doing. Um, you know, I learned, I got that through Muay Thai and even all the hockey I had done in my life did not allow me that kind of confidence. Um, you know, to even just stick up for yourself in a situation like, um, you know, I had a, some guy start like pushing me at some point. And, you know, I don't know what pre Muay Thai me would have done about that, but it was, you know, the ability to stay calm and be like, okay, this random person that I don't know has just put their hands on me. Like, I'm going to handle this situation. I'm going to make sure that I am safe. And, um, you know, I think that that kind of ability to think rationally about what was happening at the moment or how I'm going to respond and feel like my body wasn't shutting down. Like I was still present in the moment enough Mm -hmm. to keep myself safe. And that was something that I didn't have pre Muay Thai. Um, so, you know, doing a martial art, doing something that you feel confident about with your body. I, I joke that my parents raised, uh, me and my siblings, like Spartans, like we had to read every single day. We had to get straight A's. We had to play a sport. And, uh, you know, my, my dad is very athletic and, uh, I, I think that that helps like, you know, just playing a sport and, seeing its impact on other things and Mm -hmm. having that relate to, um, you know, whether what I was studying and even now not training Muay Thai, I still, when I'm not physical or active, I feel terrible. So Mm -hmm. (laughs) just trying to keep up that level of, um, you know, physicality and respecting my body, which again, I didn't have pre Muay Thai. I love it. Uh, if people want to find you, where are you? Uh, primarily just on Twitter at Steph underscore smash, which was mm-hmm. my fight nickname. <laughs> I love it. Yes. Not because I was a good fighter, but because I could break things in weird ways. Like I once broke a toe from like getting it stuck in between a slightly raised floorboard. Don't know I how I did it, but yeah, yeah. it was more because I was just likely to break something in a very unusual way so. <laughs> it would definitely have been intimidating to your opponents Steph smash oh my god <laughs> I know <laughs> but if they knew the actual reason behind it and be like oh she's just really clumsy <laughs> it's always the way um anywhere else if people want to check out your work as a comic book artist um yeah uh I think just through the twitter I post most of what I'm working on cool. um so they can kind of find it that way um, or at their local comic shop. I think most of my work should be there. Hopefully you can request it if it's not. (laughs) Amazing. Um, all right. Well, I think we are going to wrap it there. I don't want to take too much of your time, but this has been a really great conversation. Like I said, I'm so excited to have you on because yeah, your research, I think confirms a lot of what I've already suspected, which is, which is always nice, but really digs a bit deeper and gives us even some more insight, which is really, really valuable. Well, thank you for the chance to talk about it too. It's, uh, you know, if I can't do Muay Thai, I guess the second best thing right now is to talk about it. So I yeah, it. <laughs> yeah, that's been my saving grace in 2020. <laughs> Absolutely, yes. <laughs> thank you so much for listening to the Fight Back podcast. Please give me a like on YouTube, leave me a review wherever you listen to podcasts. 
Thank you to Nari for the beautiful song Shape Me, which is heard at the beginning and the end of this episode. Nari wrote this song about Shape Your Life, which is a boxing program for self-identified female survivors of violence in Canada. She wrote this song using the words and experiences shared by participants with Kathy Van Ingen. And you can find out more about Shape Your Life in my interview with Kathy, with Kathy um, in episode eight of the Fightback podcast. And of course, you can hear more of Nari's work by going to her Instagram at Nari the Sega. See you next time. Nobody shapes me but me. Don't gotta tell you what my name is, I don't gotta explain it. Walk in the room, hear a boom erupting like I'm famous. I'm here shedding shells, I'm shameless. I fear nothing, no complacence. Walk to many tight ropes with no hope, so I became this poster they hold over all the heads of trauma holders. You don't need to know my history, I move boulders. Atlas shrug, cause I lifted the weight above his shoulders. No pretense of defense, move first like chess soldiers. This goes deeper than empowerment, cause... I'm the one the power it. Physical meets mental challenge me to keep devouring. If I can't change the scenery, at least I change perspectives. No longer isolated, but elevated and selective. Darkest places become beautiful spaces. This is where rage meets patience. Meets power meets gracious. Meets, we're so glad you came in. The feeling is contagious. When you the walking impact of intended bad intentions. When you the manifest enough collecting all they tensions. You the soul and body hold it all and still remember. But I'm a work in progress, testament to all contenders. Forgot what it was like to have control over self. Forgot what it was like to be the one in charge. Forgot in my reflection, I can see all my wealth. Forgot that with my bare hands, I break all these bars, barriers, and obstacles. They can't cage me, they can't chronicle all my, all my experiences and reduce them to appearances. When I was truly beaten, gave myself clearances to fall down, mess up, and get myself back up. I'm not looking for clovers because I don't believe in luck. Damn, you were badass. I heard them say it clearly. Why, thank you very much. I know now I'm not weary of what's next for me because I expect to see growth like I was planted, watered, fed, and bloomed to be the positivity and accountability. No one they won't step if I'm the agent of my agency. I think I found my voice again, huh? I think I found my voice again, huh? I'm not sorry, I'm not sorry, you're the end where I begin. Boundaries, I know them well. Take a breath and meditate. Who is she? I know her well. Now I get to open gates. One, two, one, two. I don't need your permission. And if you get uncomfortable, then use your intuition to know that I won't stay where respect is ever missing. And everything I do, that's me making decisions. It's truly underrated, the value of self-worth. Forget that I was rich from the moment of my birth. A penny for my thoughts, no reason. You can't afford it. You cannot buy my story, rewrite it, or record it. You cannot buy my story, rewrite it, or record it. Huh.